Hey everyone, after more than 15 years in the business, I finally got a book published. If you want to do me the biggest favor in the whole world, please head over to MikeyOp.com and buy a copy. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com and the book is named Ardor and it's about psychics and the history and future of the universe. I wrote it and I think you'll love it. Hey everyone, I'm Mike Oppenheim and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week, I'd love to welcome Callie Russell to the show. She's an ancestral skills instructor, wilderness experience guide, and also goat herder who lives nomadically throughout the American Mountain West. She's passionate about learning skills that allow her to live directly from the land and helping others to feel at home in nature through Capricorn's wilderness courses. Callie is also known from her performance on the History Channel's Alone Show, where she survived alone and unassisted in the Canadian Arctic for 89 days. You did not mishear that. She survived alone and unassisted in the Canadian Arctic for 89 days, and actually during winter. So, uh, Callie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. We are so uh, flattered and honored that you would come on the show. Uh, As I mentioned when we were uh, before we started recording, my brother is a huge fan. Um, when COVID hit, he and his two daughters and his wife, so actually all four of them are huge fans, um, they came out to visit us here in the uh, Phoenix, Arizona area, um, and we all like quarantine, and they just started watching this random show called Alone, and they would just like talk obsessively about it week after week after week, and I am not a reality TV show person because I love comedies, but even I was like more than intrigued, so when he booked you... I had the best homework assignment ever, which is I got to watch um, season seven of Alone, and I got to kind of meet you through the show. Oh, awesome. That's that's fun to hear the, the origin stories of how we got connected. Yeah, yeah. So it was like super surprising because he books people like months ahead. And then I, I start looking two weeks in and I'm like, okay, go to her. Cool. Blah, blah. And I'm like, wait, Alone? Isn't that that show you love? And he's like, yeah, dude. And then when I started watching it, um, I used to live in Portland, Oregon. I'd meet a lot of people from uh, Montana and y'all have like the same kind of like cool streak you guys are my word for it is you're all badasses but um i don't know <laughs> well yes my uh well yeah i'm i'm in montana i'm based in montana and i have you know long time family roots here but you know i grew up in the urban sprawl of phoenix oh, uh, wow. arizona so i did not grow up with any wilderness skills at all Oh my gosh. Well, that segues perfectly into kind of my first question, which is um, up until I watched the show, I always figured I could last like a day or two in the wild. Now I think it's like probably like a day and a half. Um, But I am curious (laughs) for like people like me who like, like one of my favorite things I've ever done, it used to be a tradition in my life is just to camp alone. I love being alone in nature. Um, Do you want to like direct people like me? Like what, what do you recommend for us I would say as far as um, recommend for getting out there. Like, um, like if you have that like itch, like what is like a good step to like scratch it? Cause like, you know, I have kids and a wife and a family and I, so I can't really see myself just like, Hey guys, going to take off for a month later, but I do really miss being in nature and especially alone. I know that sounds cliche, but there is something really special about that self-reliance. Yeah, I agree, Mike. It's something, it feels so good to be alone in nature and it doesn't even have to be deep wilderness to get the, the, the feeling of, I mean, I always just feel so much peace and calm and all the things of the, you know, the busy modern life sort of melt away when you're out there. And I feel like it's really good medicine for, for all of us. So I would just say, even if you, most people don't have 
a month or a week to spend, but any amount of time you have to spend, even if it's just an hour going on a walk on a hike somewhere for an hour or spending one night, like I don't have that much, if you don't have that much time, just going for one night somewhere, even for me spending one night out in a, in a, in nature completely changes my perspective on everything. And I, I think it's just good to just get out there, scratch that itch, follow that pole, no matter how much time, whether it's an hour or a night, um, it's, it's totally worth it. It's always worth it. Awesome. And yeah, I, I love hiking. So I did the grand Canyon, um, rim to rim and I did like tons of like 14 to 15 mile hikes here. I'm curious. Um, I know you said you grew up here and you've left, but do you have any like favorite nature spot in Arizona in particular? Mm, I have a lot of favorite nature spots in Arizona. <laughs> cool. Uh, I guess it, yeah, so many places. Um, but there's a really special spot on uh, Oak Creek that I really like. It's there's this the biggest uh, cottonwood tree I think I've ever seen. There's this big great grandmother tree there on Oak Creek, and it that's a um, a spot that I've been going to since I was a kid and feel a, a lot of connection to that place. That's awesome. Yeah. And so I guess kind of, it's weird because I want to talk so much about nature, but I also want to make sure we actually hit the like goal of the show, which is to talk about your, your experiences with and your philosophy on death and dying. So I am curious, um, is like nature to you, like a sense of spirituality? Is it a religion? Do you have a religion? Like where, where's the nexus between these kind of concepts? Mm, Yeah. Good question. Well, for me, I don't really, um, have a particular religion that I follow. Um, I do feel like I'm a spiritual person, but not with any specific, um, you know, things that I, I, I feel generally unattached. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's my just life philosophy is to live my life fully and really experience what it is to be in a human body and living this life and try to enjoy it as much as I can and spread joy to other people and help others where I can. And for me, I found my peace in nature, in the wilderness. For me, you know, nature is not a a big, scary place that's going to kill you as fast as it can. It's my home. I really feel at home there. And um, it was something that I searched for for a long time. I didn't really have that, you know, growing up. And um, for me, I think I, and I love your podcast. When Sam asked me to come on the show, I was like, I haven't listened to that podcast. I haven't heard about it, but I love the name. (laughs) And I think that I will really like this podcast because I, my sort of life philosophy is that, um, well, I guess I guess have to tell a little bit of a backstory. So when I was, yeah, when I was younger, when I was a kid, um, I had, I have a big family and I had two brothers and they both died in separate accidents within the same year. Wow. And so I, yeah, I lost two siblings and my, you know, parents lost two kids and it was a a huge tragedy for a whole family. Um, and I mean, the ripple effects of it are still affecting our family in, in many ways. Um, and when I was younger, it was a, it was a pretty big loss, especially at, um, you know, as a child. And I realized, I, um, for, (laughs) excuse me with, um, yeah, for me, like being so close to death at an early age, I feel like 
has been a really big gift for me because it's given me the courage to live my life. And I feel like I've lived my life much more fully Mm -hmm. up to this point than I would have if I wasn't, if, if I wasn't close to death, if I didn't lose my brothers, because I think, especially as a kid, you don't really have a sense of death and dying Mm -hmm. and that this life is going to end. You're just very present as a child. Mm -hmm. And like, this is my life. I'm going to live. I'm going to live till I'm an old person like my grandparents. (laughs) And for me to realize, see my brother, one was younger than me and one was older to see them, you know, their lives were ended. It was gone. It was over for them. And they didn't get to keep living. They didn't get to become adults. So I knew that was the same for me. There was no guarantee that I would be able to become an adult. So I wanted to live my life as full as I could. And I remember too, this, this happened a little later when I was a teenager I remember feeling I was struggling a lot with um, depression and and anger. I had a lot of anger at the world, not only for, you know, essentially taking, you know, I kind of felt like um, a victim, Mm -hmm. like my brothers were taken from me, you know, and, and, you know, so I was angry that I didn't have my brothers around. I was angry at the whole industrial food system and just every, yeah. just everything like our whole world. I was like, what are we doing to our planet? What are we, what are we, how are we treating these other species? And like, this is crazy. Like for me just to live and eat food and be alive where I'm causing all these problems that are horrible. I, I felt a big sense of hopelessness and all these, all these things that I think, you know, is pretty common for people to experience these feelings. And I remember getting lost in that and feeling having this sort of epiphany moment and I realized that I could spend my life being angry and upset and feeling like a victim or I could say hey I'm actually alive I'm not in the ground right now I am alive and I get to live my life and so instead of spending it feeling sorry for myself and feeling angry at the world I'm gonna live my life not just for me, I'm not going to just live an awesome life for myself. I'm going to live it for my brothers. So I have to live my life three times as good, three times as big, three times as fun. And so that's really guided my whole life trajectory and sort of philosophy that I'm not just living for myself. I'm living for my brothers. So I can't waste, I can't waste this life on nonsense. (laughs) That's so cool. And I mean, gosh, you, you actually covered a lot of things I wanted to ask you about, but I want to dive deeper into them. Um, I think I'll start with animals. So first of all, you mentioned like in a human body and I always get made fun of by my friends. Cause I always talk about being a human and they're like, why don't you just say being a person? And I'm like, well, cause like, I feel like an animal that we just call a human. And then I see other animals. And so this has led to like a very conflicting situation in my life, which is that I, I basically uh, pretty much, I'm like a vegan at this point. Um, but it's not like, because I think you shouldn't eat animals. And so I get into these weird circular conversations with people where I'm like, no, no, no. It's what you described, Callie. Like the system in this country is like so demoralizing to me. It does make me angry. I have to deal with that. And so like, I'm just trying to like chip back against that, but I don't feel like there's any momentum. I feel like it's sometimes just a giant waste. So I'm curious, like, because I can tell, like, you have the same ethical consideration of animals, but also, like, on watching the show and stuff, like, I would kill a cor- porcupine. I would eat, like, whatever I could to survive. Like, absolutely. I, I don't think animals have, like, a special right not to be eaten by humans. Um, so th- do you have any advice about that, that, that conflict I'm feeling? Hmm. Well, the I know for me, I had it 
you know, when I first, when I was a teen and I learned about the industrial food system, I also, I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to be a vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I did spend some years being vegan and almost a decade being a vegetarian because I was like, gosh, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make this situation better, but I would like to be feeding it less, be a less, you know, not a part of eating these animals that are living such horrible lives. So, um, and for the same reason, I think as humans, we eat meat. That's what we've always done. I don't know of any old, you know, traditional culture that doesn't eat meat. I mean, that's humans. I mean, maybe there's one, but I just am unaware that that's who we are. We're hunters. You know, our eyes are in the front of our heads. We're hunters. That's That's what we do. We eat other animals. But the way we're doing it these days is is pretty depressing. And so I just decided, well, I'll be a vegetarian until I learn to get my own meat, um, whether it's hunting or fishing or, you know, raising farm animals. And I thought when I decided that, that I'd probably be a vegetarian my whole life because I didn't know any, I didn't know how I would get those skills. But, you know, here I am a decade later or so with those skills. Um, and I, you know, I'm able to raise, raise the food that I eat. And so I think for me, how I dealt with that was, you know, choosing to get on the path of being more connected to my food and mm-hmm. I grow food, you know, I grow plants for food. I have goats where I drink their goat milk and, you know, I'll eat, I'll eat the goats sometimes. I hunt, I, but my favorite thing is roadkill. I pick up a lot of roadkill and I eat it. I, I prefer cool. to be a scavenger. Yeah, I like to be a scavenger. I'm a, I say I'm a scavenger first and a hunter second because I don't really like taking life either. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for me to take life. Yeah. But again, that's part of, you know, to be alive, we have, we need to eat something, you know? And so I think it's for every person that's different. I mean, not everybody has the option to become a goat herder not everybody there's not roadkill where everybody lives you know (laughs) so we all have to kind of like find our own path and what makes sense but I think um you know I think just looking at where there are little ways you know little ways can I grow you know some kale in a window box you know in an apartment and Mm -hmm. have these like fresh greens that I'm tending and just make these little making these little choices to be connected to food to me feels very good and I think that you know for some people maybe that's the path is you know raising their own food or maybe just empowering farmers outside of their city to raise animals Mm -hmm. in a you know an ethical way and like supporting farmers or you know, maybe, you know, working in the food system and trying to improve it. I think there's so many different ways and we all just have to find our own, our own thing that feels good. Like where we, where we choose to, you know, choose to choose to put our energy and effort. That's exactly like why I wanted to ask you. Cause I, I feel like there's so many venues and there's so many things to care about, obviously. And, you know, I don't know you personally, but when you, you know, this is the weird thing about culture. When you watch someone on like a TV show, you feel like, you know, them. Cause like, I saw you cry. I totally. saw you get excited, you know? And so it's like, I got a sense of your heart, like through the medium of television, which is incredible. And then through that, I was like, Oh, I can tell she, she deals with the same thing, which is like what you said. Cause I, I now want to ask a follow-up question, which is when, when one of your goats, like, first of all, do you name your goats? And then secondly, when they do like die, do you like, talk about them and like have like a reverence for them and then eat them or do you try to like disassociate that side of like 
them being a pet and then also something you eat? I do not disassociate. I, I name them. They're, they're To me, I explain it. It's like um, you would have your pet dog, really. Mm-hmm. And I know people are like, well, I would never eat my dog. And I was like, well, yeah, I, never, I don't actually want to eat my goats either. They're <laughs> my family, really. Yeah. I spend a lot of time with them. They all know their names. They come oh, when cool. I whistle. You know, I'll whistle or call their name and they, they come over just like a dog, you know. So I, I put a lot of training into my animals. So they're they're not just a meat herd. Um, you can raise animals like that. And I, you know, I think about <laughs> it would be easier on me if I had a meat herd that I did, maybe didn't interact with as much. But for me, I don't want to shy away from what it actually is to, to be alive. For me to be alive, I need to eat something. It doesn't have to be an animal, but I did, I was a vegetarian for 10 years and I do feel a lot healthier now that I'm eating meat again. Um, but for, and I remember, uh, you know, like, I don't want to pretend that it's not a life. I don't want to pretend that it's easy or that it's not sad it to me it is but for some people it might not be but for me it is sad and I don't want to shy away from that and when I was out on a loan I was eating a lot of rabbits and I was eating about a rabbit a day on average and so I had to kill every day I had to take a life every day and for me out there I was harvesting these rabbits some with my bow and arrow and some on mostly on my trap line. My trap line was sort of my bread and butter out there. And I had this realization that for me to have energy for one day, it took a life. It took one rabbit for me to have that energy, energy to get firewood, to get water, to walk up the hill, to just be. And to realize that, that it takes a life for me to have energy for one day that's sacred. That is a sacred thing. And I think by really honoring it and looking at it, looking it right in the eyes, not, not shying away and pretending it's something else or trying to justify it, just be like, this is what it is. I'm taking a life. I'm killing an animal. They're giving up their life for me to have energy for one day. I'm going to appreciate that. That's going to make me want to live my day more fully. That's going to make me appreciate the energy that I have and and really honor the life that this this animal is giving up they don't have their life anymore but i have my life and i have this energy and i want to utilize it and live live fully and so for me looking really being honest about what it is to me gives me so much more appreciation for my life so i i i don't try to shy away from from the fact that i am taking life to live oh that's such a good answer thank you again i mean your answers are just mm-hmm. so like you you mix profoundness with um relatableness which is uh definitely key in this modern era of like sound bites and clips and short attention spans um <laughs> so before we move into more questions about like nature and your relationship to all that I, I would like to ask the pivotal question of the podcast which is just simply what do you think happens when you die and then i'd like to know if that has ever changed in your life or if it's been consistent since you were quote unquote introduced to death with um, your two brothers that year? Great question. And I love that you ask people that on your podcast, because I feel like it's one of those taboo things, you know, especially when you're having a semi, you know, semi-professional podcast here to ask people that I feel like I think it's a great thing to ask. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. For me, I, when I die, it gives, so, so, 
tying in from talking about animals and killing animals and even if even not killing animals, harvesting potatoes from the ground, I'm still ripping up an entire plant um, to, to feed myself. So life feeds on life. There's no other way. That's how it is. All life is feeding off of other life. And I'm no different from any other living organism. I'm feeding off of other lives. And that's what I'm doing my whole life is feeding off other lives. And I've taken many lives to live. So I find a lot of peace and contentment knowing that when I die, my body is going to feed some other lives. So I really hope, however, I mean, I guess I could burn up in flames or something like that. So there, who knows how I'll die, but I hope that I die in a way where my body is intact enough to feed other life and whether it goes in the ground and is you know decomposed by the bugs and the earthworms and I come back and be grass and feed the deer and the goats and all the undulates that have fed me for all my life I, I really hope to feed them or if I'm left out and like let the birds eat me I just I just want I know that unless I burn up or some I guess no, even if I died in water, the fish would eat me. Like, that's what I like to think about. <laughs> yeah. Is who's going to eat me. That's cool. Because I've eaten so many animals. Yeah. And that is what will happen. Like, my body will be food. Um, hopefully no one puts me in a box. That, that would be, like, <laughs> yeah. the worst thing. That's what I don't want is to be put in a box. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, my biggest fear is that everyone who loves me and knows me isn't there to make sure that that does not happen when I die. I don't want any embalming. <laughs> I want to go directly in the ground. Um, yeah, I want to give back the nourishment I've received. Um, and uh, I guess it's the same kind of question, but on the subject of death, um, in addition to just, like, your 89 days, not just, but your incredible 89 days in the Canadian Arctic, you've also before and after spent a lot of time in other wilderness scenarios. I'm just curious in your entire life so far, what was the closest you ever came to thinking you were going to die in one of those excursions? Oh my gosh. Well, I've had some pretty close encounters with death and I don't think that this one is, not, I don't think I was actually the closest to death, but this is the one that just popped into my head when you answered the or asked the question and there was this one time where I was sleeping and I woke up and there were three mountain lions, a mom and oh two babies God. right next to me. Oh yeah. Wow. And I don't think they were actually thinking to eat me, but in that, in the moment, my nervous system definitely thought that I was about to get eaten. Uh -huh. Wow. Mm -hmm. do you ever think about or picture like how long it would take like rescue attempts to find your dead decaying body on one of these like does that ever like occur to you not in like a bad way just I'm just curious if that ever like flits into your mind of course yeah and not in not I don't worry about it I don't let it stop me or hold me back mm -hmm. but I'm kind of always aware of that because it's it, especially on solo adventures if I get all the time, I'm like, okay, well, if I broke my ankle right now, you know, I'm how, how close am I to the nearest road, 20 miles to the nearest dirt road. And then how long will it be until somebody gets, you know, drives on that dirt road? You know, I'm always thinking about how, like how far out I am. And I think it's good to think about the logistics of that too. And, and no, it's a big risk when you, you know, you go out alone, if you get hurt or even get sick too, I've been, I've gotten really sick oh, wow. and 
been so weak. I'm like, well, I can't hike out. I'm too weak to hike out. I just have to survive this sickness until I, you know, stop barfing and get better. Um, but I'm just out here until I, I have the strength to hike myself out because there's no other way I'm getting out. Yeah. Totally. That was my favorite part of, uh, season seven when I watched it was that, um, my sense of competition is insane to the point where like, sometimes I worry. I'm like, Oh, you probably should have stopped this like jog like a while ago. Like you're just doing this to prove that you can break your own record, blah, blah, blah. So when I saw you not eat like the spotted liver and then like go ahead and end up eating it like eight days later or whatever, I just kept thinking about how that, like that vibe is what survivalists have. And it doesn't mean you're going to survive. Like people just die. It like happens. But, um, it was cool to see that, like, like, I don't know. I always wonder what other people, actually, this is my question for you. I should have said this really quickly. Um, what is like your mantra? What's like your go-to when like, cause everyone like sort of wants to quit, but then you just like don't. So like, what do you tell yourself in those moments? Hey everyone. If you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us and it's free. That's M I K E Y O P P.com. Thanks. Well, that the discomfort will pass that, you know, I might, I'm uncomfortable now, but it's not going to last forever. And also just in my life, there's going to be, there's going to be a continuation of uncomfortable things and things will keep happening to me that I don't like. Mm -hmm. And as long as I'm alive, things are going to happen to me that I don't like, and they might be uncomfortable. And, you know, if I escape this time, I'll just be in another uncomfortable moment in the future. So I just have to, (laughs) you know, just like take a moment and breathe and know that I might feel different the next tomorrow, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's one. I have a, I have a couple different things that I do, you know, when I hit a heart, when I kind of get to that wall, that hard place and out there on alone, I thought a lot about my ancestors and I guess all of our ancestors really. And I just would think, oh, this is a really hard day for me. But at any other moment in time, this is probably not even that hard. <laughs> That's really. so and, cool. <laughs> yeah. And just thinking about everything our ancestors have dealt with and the, and the things that people like humanity has gotten through. I'm like, this is no big deal. And I have an escape. I can like press a button, you know, on the GPS thing, mm-hmm. you know, and a rescue team will come out and save me. Like. Nobody's had that in human history, yeah, yeah. been in a, 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 you know, a horrible situation and, you know, have that, have that way to get out. And so I was like, all right, my ancestors made it through, you know, all the horrible things they made it through. I can make it through this. I can make it through another day. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm sort of curious, like along the same lines when, um, when you're on the show and you're like risking things and then you're not risking things and stuff, like how much were you surprised by like, moments where you like knew you were performing for a camera like like because I'm I'm more asking about the psychology of being alone for that long because I I'm such a hypocrite because I'm like oh I love being alone but no I mean not like for more than four or five six days like I, I start to get weird I know because I, I kept journals when I was alone in Europe once for like two weeks and I <laughs> I like get weird I just know I do so what what's that like <laughs> well you get to know yourself really well <laughs> which it sounds like you did too you're like I did get to know myself a little too well yeah um yeah for me I felt like I was just going 
uh, it, I actually loved being alone out there. I loved it so much. And I hope I get an opportunity to drop in that deep again, because it was so profound. And all, because what I've found, I've done it, like you were mentioning, I've done a lot of wilderness trips on so, you know, solo trips, you know, before I went on the lone show, I spent 30 days solo in the New Mexican wilderness. And I've done, done lots of trips. Um, and it takes time for that, your mental chatter, because we're always thinking, we think so much all the time. And there's this mental chatter. You're always kind of like thinking about what happened, you know, the past, the future, the moment you're have all this like internal dialogue about everything all the time. And eventually that stop, it slows down and then it stops, but it really takes time. And it's sort of like this mental purge that has to happen and eventually, at least for me, I drop into this place of quiet mind where that mental chatter actually is quiet. <laughs> it's amazing. And I start to drop into this place of how I think wild animals must feel because I don't think they have the mental chatter that us humans experience. And it's really experiential and all like it's like your mind quiets down. And all your senses heighten, smell, vision, hearing, everything heightens. And the longer I was out there, the, the deeper I went with that feeling. And I loved that feeling of feeling very present and very much like a wild animal on the landscape and very connected to everything and noticing all my surroundings and just little d details, just noticing where you know, on my path to get water that a spruce, the spruce tips were nibbled just a little bit. I'm like, oh, you know, an, you know, an animal came by and nibbled these spruce chips, like since I walked here yesterday, you wow. know, who was it? And then yeah. like start looking for tracks, you know, and you just start picking up on all these, all these things. And so I really enjoyed the being alone, um, but you have to kind of go through that a disc, a, an uncomfortable period, I think, to mm -hmm. get to that place where you're, where you kind of like let go and your mind, you kind of drop into this other experience. At least like that, that's what it's like for me. No, that's so cool. So do you kind of have like a kindred spirit relationship to like quote unquote wackos who like live out in cabins and like just like shun humanity? Do you feel like after that experience on alone, like 89 days, do you feel like a weird kinship with them or any sort of relation to that? Well, I think I understand. I think I, I can relate to it. I can relate to people who choose that. And sometimes I think about choosing that for my life, but I also love people and love to spend time with people and, you know, my family and friends and things too. So I, I probably won't, I probably won't become a full-time hermit. I'm like a part-time hermit. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> part-time hermit. But <laughs> that kind of was my other question for you was, um, you seem like a person who would just be a great mother and like family person. Uh, does that, is that a goal you want to achieve? Do you have like plans to start or have a family of your own, like with kids specifically? Oh, well I have 16 kids. <laughs> That's so funny. You're referring to goats, I'm assuming, or... <laughs> Yes, okay. yes, yes. I have 16 goats and uh, six of them are actually kids because baby goats are called kids. So I get to, I get to tell no. people that. Like, My oh, wife's yeah, making fun of me goats. on behind the scenes. <laughs> She's like, you didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a, it is a good question. And I think, you know, with most things in life, I try to strike this 
balance of caring and not caring, which may be hard to understand, but, or some people might be like, what are you talking about? The balance between caring and not caring, but it's this sense of, I, uh, it's a sense of unattachment, but not in a, not in a disassociated negative way, but it's just non-attachment to particular outcomes because I don't know how things will turn out anyway. So no sense being attached to them. So I don't feel any attachment to having children, but I would like to have children. I would. And, you know, I'm 35. And as a woman, you know, 35, I think that's the time where biologically you start, you know, your body is like, hey, you know, (laughs) if you're going to have kids, now's the time. So we'll see what happens. Cool. Yeah. And I didn't want to ask to get too personal. It's just more that I wanted to make sure you knew that, like, and this segues into the next question. Um, When Alana and I watched the show together, what we really, really noticed about you that we, like, loved, because we were like, what if we don't like her? Like, what if she's like a caustic person or, you know, whatever, (laughs) but you had such a positive attitude and like, that's she and I, like, that's our, one of our biggest strengths and bonds is like, just keep a positive attitude. It doesn't matter. Like if I was on a reality show, I have no idea if I would ever watch it or not. And I know that I don't always look at or watch all my stuff. It's kind of hard to explain. And it's not because I don't have an ego or I do. It's just, I, I get weirded out sometimes watching myself. So I was curious if, because I don't know if you actually watched like the entire like edited version of the show, which is obviously not what you experienced, but uh, the way they edited it together, I noticed that you and the guy um, who won it, who lasted a hundred days, you, and by the way, just for people listening, uh, you can, I, I, get, I don't know. I don't want to like, ruin the show, but Callie was essentially going to win. And, um, and it's sad how it ends for me at least, because I'm a fan of yours, but I did still notice that you and the other guy who uh, lasted all 100, you both had like a really warm, exuberant, like positive attitude. Mm, yes. Well, okay. So about watching the show, I do get it. And it is true. What happens out there is different than what they do show because, you know, I was out there for three months, eight, you know, 89 is three months. So, and then I think what's cut down onto the show is probably an hour of airtime, like of, um, what, where I'm shown. So a lot happens. Yeah. There's the edited version, which is different. And I was thinking to not watch the show because I didn't want it to taint my experience or like I would start to think that that was the story and forget my story, but I did end up, you know, Yeah. yeah, but I did choose to watch it mostly. I didn't at first, but then, you know, friends and family started you know, texting and calling about different things. I was like, all right, I better see what they're showing. So I know what people are seeing. (laughs) And I did watch it. I've only watched it the one time when it aired. um, And I, so I've never gone back and watched it again. Yeah. But I just, I I think it is important to keep your own experience alive and however you can for that. And I do know people that have been on the show that have chosen to not watch their season and they haven't watched it, which I think is, is a totally good, you know, is a good choice too. So, um, and then the positive attitude piece of your question, I do think that mindset is very important, you know, not just to wilderness living or a survival situation, but just to life and with survival stuff or wilderness living, the skills are important. And I think for going on the show, you need to have, it's good to have a baseline skill set, foundational skill set. But I think what's more important than the actual hard skills is mindset and where your, you know, what your attitude is, what your mindset is. And, 
I think that that just comes down to everyday life too. It's the, the power of mindset is so strong. And that's something that I'm always working on is to just have a, you know, more, you know, solid, open, peaceful mindset. Like how, you know, how can I have that? And for, for me, it's spending time in nature. So luckily alone was a great combination for me. Yeah. That's cool. And it, it was really noticeable. You really did. It was like palpable enthusiasm and happiness. And I, um, I kept tracking as the numbers got colder and colder because I used to live in Ithaca, New York. And I was like, I've been in colder. And then like one day it was like so much colder than anything I've even come close to. And I was like, well, with a wind chill, I once felt that like towards like the side of a lake in Pittsburgh. But it was just like funny trying to relate <laughs> to you. And then um, and now that I know that you grew up in the the, the Phoenix and the Arizona, uh, I'm dying to know just like a really quick question. Um, what would you prefer if you were going to be on like a third season of it extreme heat or extreme cold heat <laughs> wow oh good answer that made me happy um i always tell people i i've been in both and i would just much prefer the extreme uh -huh. heat. yeah um, you you can die of um thirst pretty quick though so hopefully there's if there's yeah. water somewhere but yeah, I, it was, you know, that in, on alone, that was also the coldest weather I'd ever experienced as well. So for me, I had a lot of firsts out there and a lot of, you know, I got to push my edge, edge in a lot of ways. It was, it was awesome. Let's say there's someone out there who actually is capable and they really are good at wilderness and stuff. And they're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to try out for alone. Like, I, I think I have a good chance of making it. What would you say is the one thing that someone's not going to see coming that really surprised you that was negative? For my personal experience? Yeah. Well, I think the main thing is you, it's easy to start planning your experience out before you get there. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to build this type of, this type of shelter. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, it's going to be close to water. It's going to like have all that. I'm going to do all these things. It's going to be like, I'm not going to be like real smart about this whole plan I have. You have like this plan of action and then they just, they drop you out there. And then the landscape they drop you in is completely different and has none of the resources that you thought you might have. And it has stuff that you didn't know you would have. And it's just completely different. And so I think that <laughs> I think being able to remain really adaptable is important. And because for me, I know that happened. It's just a lot of my ideas. They go right out the window. Once you're landed in your spot, you can, you can plan it out and have yeah. this like great plan. And then you're like, well, there's no big trees. So I guess I can't build a cabin or there's no rock. So I can't build, you know, whatever it is. Uh, or, and, and yeah. so I think that that is for me, that was the, I mean, I was dropped in a North facing bowl, which in the winter <laughs> meant no sunshine. So there was, and it was all cliffs. I was like, where, where am I even supposed to put a shelter? It's just cliffs everywhere, you know? So the landscape to me, I didn't think, like choosing a shelter spot would be hard. I thought that would be the easiest part of it because I know what to look for. And I was like, oh, well, there's like actually not a good shelter spot because it's all north facing. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, north facing cliff, that's exactly what you want for a winter, right? Yeah, that's cool. That's a great answer. And then my last really quick um, question about alone, and then I'm going to give you the floor to give a peaceful or loving message or whatever you prefer to our audience. Um, so my last specific question is just, was there ever a point where you were like, oh, I bet everyone else quit and I'm just going to have to sit here for another like 20, 30, 40, 50 days? Or did you have like a funny feeling that someone else or many people were still competing against you? Well, I had a lot of confidence in the other participants 
everybody out there on that season, Mm -hmm. I feel like every season the participants get more and more skilled because the (laughs) casting people get better at finding um, people with that are like really legit. So I felt very confident in, in everybody. So I thought that everyone was out there going to be out there for a very long time. Like the competition was tough, if you will, Mm -hmm. but I knew other people were out there because I would have dreams of it. I knew Kai was still out there. I, I had a dream of her later and I knew, I knew, I could, so I would get feelings. I was like, I know Kai's out here and I, I just get these feelings. So I never thought I was the last person, but every now and then when I was tired, I would be like, it'd be kind of cool if I was already the last person, <laughs> but you, you know. Yeah. And by the way, one more compliment just to throw at you, because I think as a father and as someone who's like watching our world go through like so many changes, I think it's really important for people to like accept things with like graciousness and and the way you accepted I guess I'm just going to ruin the show for everyone the frostbite and what happened with you was so helpful for people like me because I I constantly wonder like when is enough is enough like what is it like to tell your family you know I'm done with this thing I used to do in my life I'm going to move on to something else like that is a really hard part of life I think for a lot of people especially ambitious people so um, I just want to let you know that that was like for me, actually, the most rewarding part of the entire journey of watching you on the show was was watching you like smile and cry at the same time and like just deal with how complicated that was. Mm. As you know, because you listen to a couple episodes, we always end the show with just letting our guests give whatever message they want. It can be whatever you want. So, well, thank you, Mike. Thanks for that too. I would just say to remember you're never alone. I think that in this life it can we can get really caught up in in feeling that feeling that we're alone for whatever in whatever way even if we're not physically alone but we can feel like the sense of loneliness and that we're never alone that we always have the other for me I feel very held by the 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 ecosystem you know the plants the animals the rocks all of these the the nature that's around us and so just to remember you're, you're never alone. Not only as you know, there, there's other people like going through whatever you might be going through, but the, the power of life is all around us all the time. And sometimes it's just about stopping. It's like slowing down long enough to just focus on your breath, like go for a walk, like look up at the clouds, like notice the sun and maybe go sit under a tree. And that, but that the healing is always available. The healing that nature provides is always available to us at any time. And so just that, yeah, we're, you're never alone. Oh man, that's so awesome. I love it. Um, I'm just so thankful for you for making time for us. I'm so thankful that you do what you do. Um, there will be links everyone. Um, cause, uh, she has her own website and you can take courses and all that stuff, which is just like incredible. So please, please, please check out Callie Russell stuff. And, uh, uh, I also would would totally endorse uh, sitting down and watching season seven of Alone. Uh, as someone who loves television, I was very surprised. I think that it's so cool to like meet you for real and then compare that to like the studio version they tried to present and all that. And, and to be honest, it matches up pretty well. So <laughs> thank you again for everything you've done and thank you for what you're doing. And everyone, please check out her stuff. And uh, the best way to support our show is just to head over to MikeyOp.com. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com and uh, sign up for free for the weekly letter that also announces each podcast um and for everyone listening at home my name is mike oppenheim you've been listening to another episode of coffin talk and we will see you soon
when I hear her this song and I walk into you.